gosh. Uh, I love church, guys. I love being here. Welcome. Have a seat. Sorry, I should have left you standing longer. Uh, hey, welcome to church. Uh, I'm excited. I love this series. I love what God is doing in our church. My name is Jacob Holland. I'm the director of operations, and normally uh, I, I spend my time keeping the place running behind the scenes, but today I get to share with you what God has been doing in my life and through my life and through this study, and I'm excited. Hey, we are in the middle of our ghost stories sermon series and honestly uh, for me that is a perfect title for what we call uh, a sermon series about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost because honestly the Holy Spirit I'm, I'm not allowed to say this but I'm gonna say it anyways it's a little freaky to me right um, I, I know a lot of people grow up in the church and if you grew up in a church that's full of the Spirit and you're used to it there's, it's no big deal right now if you grew up in the world away from the church with no understanding of God or the Holy Spirit it's not cool right it is terrifying completely horrifying I mean I can get behind this idea of God the Father and Jesus right there is a book that was written historically and it has been accurately historically accurately translated for thousands and thousands of years it has been preserved and while there may be some slight differences between translations it's really well preserved so if nothing else I have to concede that it's a historical document and if I'm going to concede it's a historical document, when you look at the story of Jesus, there's an intellectual thought line that I had to concede to. The probability that Jesus fulfilled as many of the prophecies that he did in the Old Testament by coming in the New Testament, the fact that he did that, it's near impossible. I don't have the stats in front of me, and you wouldn't care either way. But when I was faced with the evidence, I had no choice but to say, okay, I'll accept that because uh, it's there in front of you. And in fact, even if you want to leave the warm embrace of cold, hard facts and move into the emotional and the feeling side of things, there is just way too much anecdotal evidence to ignore, right? We see drug addicts surrender their life to Jesus and walk away clean. We see jerks surrender their lives and become halfway decent human beings, right? Amen. So if those things are true, then I have no choice but to accept it. But the Holy Spirit? And more importantly, the presence and the power, well, that stretches my more sensible side, right? I mean, I can reason life change, but when you talk about the lame walking, the death hearing, the blind seeing, and ultimately the dead rising, <laughs> that's a little much. But I am prudent, and I believe in the Bible, so when I read the Bible, those things are there. I have to accept the workings of the Holy Spirit. So luckily for me, there's an out. I can use some verses to say, yes, God moves in the supernatural, and he does it through very empowered supernatural people, right? That's why God created the people like the Maryfields, who hear the voice of God, who understand it, interpret it, and can speak and pray healing over people, while he created me, Jacob, to be the systems guy, right? He created me to make sure that things run smoothly, right? As best as I can. Or maybe he created me to keep the, you know, the, the leadership of this church from eating one another, right? He has given me this unique gifting. Now the Holy Spirit, yes, that's there and it's present and it's moving, but that's for the Maryfields. That's why God made them, right? But then, as a church, we said, come Holy Spirit. We stopped fig trying to figure out how to do church and started asking God, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to run church? How do you want us to do these things? And guys, uh, it changed us, right? This, we started this series to challenge us to live a naturally supernatural lifestyle. We started this series to push us as a leadership team uh, to, into what God has called us to. 
So each week we are walking through a different uh, Holy Ghost story, right? A different story about how the Holy Spirit moves. But ultimately, we're asking the question, why not us? Why not me, right? Week one, Pastor Kevin talked about making room for the Holy Spirit, how oftentimes when we surrender our lives, we try and fit the Holy Spirit into the cracks of our already full life, right? But sometimes God is saying we need to take stuff out, whether it be an activity or an old wound or something that we are holding on to that God is inviting us to move out so he can send his spirit in, right? Last week, Pastor Kevin talked about the idea that the Holy Spirit brings chaos to order, right? chaos to order. And that's really where I was spending a lot of time is thinking about that, uh, not on the macro level, but on the micro level, right? And I really wanted to press into something practical, right? I wanted to talk about something down and dirty when it talks about uh, the chaos becoming order. So there's a lot of things that happen when chaos becomes order. You see light come to the darkness, you see death come to life, and you see the sick come to health. So as I was wondering and pressing, I was like, what would have the biggest impact, right? What would make the biggest impact on our church? And I was like, it's death to life, right? Think about that, right? If I went to the local morgue and brought a body in here and they got up and walked, we would all be different, right? All of us. But here's the thing. It's, it's really hard to have that line up for you, right? They do not let that happen very easily. And we have trunk or treat coming up, so I didn't think it was appropriate to ask for volunteers. So if we can't go down that route, sorry. That's not all right. But if we can't go that route, I figured we'd go one step closer, and we're going to talk about healing today, right? And we're going to talk about supernatural healing, about sickness becoming health, about brokenness becoming whole. That's what we're going to talk about. To be clear, I mean supernatural healing when God steps in and something radical happens. I, I will say this. I am not opposed to the medical field. In fact, it supports most of my lifestyle. I, I love the medical field, right? No. I believe that God has uniquely created people to understand science, to understand medicine, to, be, to heal the world, right? I believe that it is one of God's common gifts to all humanity is the idea that people can become healed. I can show you that there is a divine hand in the medical field. Back in the day, people used to use feces to treat infections, right? Literal feces. If you don't know what that is, Google it. That's an, you know... Feces. I know God, don't actually, not image, anyway. I know that God is here because people used to use feces, but now, now we use mold, right? Penicillin is made out of mold. And I know there has to be a divine hand in the fact that mankind moved from feces to mold, but more importantly, that God finally made something to heal people. Because if we went past mold, I don't know where you go from feces, mold, I don't know where it ends up, but God is there working in that field. However, sometimes the field's not enough, right? They do their best, but sometimes we need God. Sometimes it's just not enough, and that's where God steps in to bring in these supernatural healings. Pursue medicine for healing, but pursue healing for healing. That's kind of where we're at today. Uh, now, I just have a few minutes, and if you think I can do the justice on the topic of supernatural healing in like 20 minutes, you're out of your mind right? Not, absolutely not. Books have been written, uh, uh, conferences have been had and are still being had. This is a vast and huge topic. The question I want to ask is, why not us, right? It's the point of the sermon series. Why don't we pray for healing? So that's where we're going to go today. Ironically, we're going to pick up in Acts 9, right where 
uh, Pastor Kevin left off last week. He told that story about how Paul became, or Saul became Paul, right? How God came into the chaos that was Saul and brought him into light. And he went on to be one of the most powerful, honestly, healers in all of the scriptures. So it's cool that in the first part of Acts, you see that story. We're going to pick up right after that story, Acts chapter 9. Starting in verse 32, we're going to talk about Peter. Who This is kind of running parallel with that story of, uh, uh, of Paul there. So read with me. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately, uh, immediately Aeneas got up. And all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. All right, that's our story. That's our ghost story. Okay, I know. It doesn't seem very spooky on the surface, right? It seems pretty tame, pretty straightforward. It's only a few verses. And it seems like nothing really radical happens here. But I think it's what lies beneath that surface of that uh, seemingly tame story that really is the spooky side of this, right? Because I think there's an implication uh, of an unavoidable call to action that we see this here. I believe this small passage shows us the authority, the call, and the example as uh, how we as a church should take action in the supernatural healing. So for us to truly get this, again, we're going cliff notes, but I want to talk about this authority, right? Because that's the most important. This is the first thing we see there. We see uh, Peter here say, Jesus Christ has healed you. Obviously, Peter isn't Jesus, right? And P Jesus isn't standing next to Peter at this point. So G he is speaking through the authority of, of Christ here. And we first see that authority given to Jesus by God, right? We see God's that Jesus only does what his father has told him to. So he brings, he sent him here to earth to heal people, right? I'm not going to put any examples behind us. Open your Bible. There's four things called a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're right at the beginning of the New Testament. Randomly flip open to a page, and I, I promise you within four paragraphs, you'll see Jesus healing someone, right? It's all over the place. We see this authority happen time and time again. But the beauty of it is that Jesus didn't stop and keep that authority to himself. He gave it out right? First to the 12 disciples who will later become known as apostles, right? In Matthew 10, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal disease and sickness. We're going to skip a few verses. He just introduces them by name. Save some time here. These 12 G Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter the town of Samar the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go Proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. Freely you received, freely you give. He gave them the authority to go out into the world, heal the sick, and cast out demons. Those two go hand in hand. We're not getting into demons today, but they go hand in hand. And that would have been cool enough, but he goes a step further. He, he sends out 72. This story is found in Luke 10. I'm not going to put it up there. But he gives the same call, not just to the 12 apostles, but to the 72 disciples, right? He expands his authority up into the 72. And that's an incredible thing, and that would be enough. But again, he raises the bar, or maybe rather, he lowers the bar. Found here in John 14, it says, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do my, the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
You ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You see, the same authority that was given to the 12 who went out and healed sick was given to the 72 who went out to heal the sick is now given to everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. You see, Jesus had an expectation that the church would continue to do the work that he did here on earth, right? Jesus didn't expect us to stop at Jesus and the apostles. He expected that to be not the ceiling, but the floor. I think the church has spent too much time trying to get back to the foundation instead of continuing the work that Jesus has already done. Jesus and the apostles are not that ceiling, rather a foundation that we as a church should all ultimately build upon. But the beauty of it is that we don't just pray with this authority, right? That, that wasn't the only thing at play when Peter was praying for Ananias, right? This authority was there, but also there was something different. Because the 12 and the 72 had begun with just that authority, and they healed the sick, and they cast out demons, but they ran into walls, there were some demons they couldn't heal. There was some sickness they couldn't heal, and they, and they couldn't figure out why, and it's because they didn't have this power yet. We know that the name of Jesus is powerful, and it alone can have results. And I know this because in, this, in Matthew chapter 7, there's a story. It's not going to pop up here. where, where Jesus, There are people who come before Jesus in the later days, and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these incredible things in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And Jesus says, go away from me. I never knew you. That shows that there is at least some authority in the name of Jesus to do miracles, even if, he's not, if, if it's not empowered by the Holy Spirit. But that's not where we land. We don't have to spend our time figuring out, is this me just praying in the name of Jesus or what? We don't live in this weird between. We, we are empowered by this Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, if you will, a helper, an empowerer to inform us and lead us to the will of the Father. This is a promise that we see in Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28. And afterwards, this afterwards is in reference to when Jesus comes. It, I will pour out my spirit in all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, right? So this is a promise of that helper made all the way back in the book of Joel. And we see this come to life in the book of Acts chapter 2 during the Pentecost, right? After Jesus leaves, he sends his Holy Spirit, and it comes, it does incredibly powerful things, but we also see it every time someone surrenders their life to Jesus, right? This Holy Spirit comes and empowers us, and it does, and leads us to do incredible things. Paul continues talking about this in his letter to the Corinthians, starting in verse 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7, uh, Paul says this, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit of message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another miraculous power, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongue, and still to another interpretations of the tongue. All these are the works of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Paul will then go into a, a dissertation about how the ear can't see and the eye can't hear, and how each one of us, is, each part of the body is important for the whole of the body, right? The body shouldn't try and be other body parts. It should be the best part of it, the body it can be, and we need each one of us to be, a, each part to be a part of the body, right? Picking back up in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you has its part in it. So, like he said, 
Every ear matters, every eye matters, every hand matters. All of us matter to the body of Christ, which is the church. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, then teachers and miracles and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Regardless of the answer to that, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. Paul is telling the church in Corinth, you should eagerly desire the greater gifts. These are gifts that edify the church, that build up believers, that bring people from darkness to light, that bring people closer to the Lord. And he says we do this for the, in the most excellent way. Now, again, I'm not going to read another chapter, right? There's chapter 13. If you want to read it, it's going to say it. But to sum up chapter 13, the most excellent way is love. The most excellent way is love. We should earnestly desire the gift of healing, in our case we're talking about today, to break out into our lives. Why? Because we love. Why? Because we love those around us. We love those who are suffering. If we love those who are suffering, we should try and do something about it. I know and we understand that God does heal with or without us, right? God can heal with or without us. But I also know that sometimes it takes a human touch for us to be opened up to a supernatural reality. And that's what God has called us to do because compassion is powerful. Caring is powerful. And we should desire to be those things. We just should desire to be caring. We should just desire to be loving, right? Because we have this authority of Christ. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Why? To fulfill the, love, uh, the will of the Father, which is to love. Love your neighbor, right? Love one another. So, I have a question. Why not us? Why not us, right? We see it in the Bible. It's right there in front of us. Why not us? Why do, why do we not pray for people? Why did the church stop praying for people? Why don't I pray for people, right? That's the kind of the question I, I want to ask today. And the most important thing is why not us? Well, I think there's a few reasons. I, actually, there's millions of reasons, right? I'm going to talk about two big reasons that people do not pray. Right? These are not, and I'm not going to be able to exhaustively talk about either of these. But the first one I want to mention is cessationism. So this is a little bit of theology here, but it, we'll get into it. Uh, sensationism is the belief that the, spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit ceased after the time of the apostles. In other words, the gift died when the apostles, and then you have to expand it if you want it to fit in the Bible, and those who the apostles laid hands on. While there is a greater and more in-depth conversation for us to have about this topic, right? This isn't going to do it justice. I'm going to lay out two main reasons I think we should lay this viewpoint aside as a church. The first one is the birthplace of this theology, right? Sometimes you got to go back to find where did this idea come from to truly understand the idea. And this idea came out of what is known as the Protestant Rebellion. Wait, we've renamed it the Protestant Reformation, right? 
right? And this is where that theology, come, this idea comes from. Is it, it was birthed out of this. You see, what was happening at this time, the Catholic church at the time was the church, right? There was no other church. And some of these re reformers, as they're now known, said, hey, listen, you are holding the Bible away from God. There's 99 things that there's a thesis written. I'm sure you've heard of it, even if you weren't in the church. It was nailed to a wall, a door. And, and this kind of started this, uh, this church split in reality. Now, I think there are reasons that, you, uh, that churches divide if, if they have theological differences that aren't quite in line. I, I think there could be some health in creating that into two separate entities. But here's the thing. I have not seen, and I may be limited, a church split that didn't come with a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. Because it's not enough for you to say, hey, Go in peace. Most of the time, a church split happens. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You don't know anything, right? And that's what's happening here. That's what happened with this idea. Because those theologians who were leading this idea, this split of that, were trying to distance themselves from the Catholic church. And one of the ways they did that was uh, by almost truly demonizing the Catholic church. Because if they believed that miracles stopped at the time of the apostles, they could attribute any miracles that happened to the Catholic Church as the work of Satan and his enemies, right? Now, the problem, which leads into point number two, is there's no scriptural evidence to support this. Now, you may sh stretch out some things to almost fit, right? But if you look at the totality of scriptures, there's nothing there to support it. At best, logic or severely stretched interpretations is what led to this theology. It isn't based and supported in Scripture. And I don't think we as a church should be using this as the reason that we are not praying or activating the gifts of the Spirit. So, again, look into it, study it, dive deeper. But if that's where you are, I recommend and I challenge you, what if you leave that behind, right? But here's the truth. That's barely an issue. Uh, because there, why, even if you agree that the gifts are still present and active today, why aren't we praying in them, right? I'm pretty sure there's going to be more people who believe in the gifts who don't use the gift than, than those who don't believe the gifts still happen, right? Which is more dangerous of a camp, right? Anyways, we won't get into that. But the, I think the biggest problem facing those, us as a church, is the what if. What if they don't get healed, right? What if they don't get healed, what if they don't get up and walk? What if I let God down? What if I irreconcilably damage that person's, to relate, that person's ability to relate to God? What if, because of my singular failed prayer of healing, the person I prayed for forever shuns anything related to God and ultimately spends the rest of eternity burning in hell? It's ludicrous, right? I know, I know it's ludicrous to say, but think about it. That's what we're saying. Yes, we don't go there. But what if I let God down? What if I fail? What's wrong with us? Well, what's wrong with us is we're arrogant. You don't believe me? Let me explain. We know we serve a God who created heaven and earth. We know we serve a God who sent his son to live a perfect, sin-free life, to die for us, to give us life, to give us hope, to give us life everlasting. We serve a God who we believe is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, right? He's everywhere all the time and knows everything. However, we are completely able to derail his will because someone we prayed for didn't get healed. The truth is we're not being cautious. We're being cowards. We're not being humble. We're hiding. 
right? I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, sometimes telling stories is a good thing, and I'm going to tell you a personal story of mine. Uh, there was a time in my life I was exploring my call to ministry. I was serving as an office manager at a church in Richmond, Richmond Vineyard, and uh, my job there was to plant, print sign-up sheets to manage the database, to answer the pastor's phone, and or keep the pastor from dying, right? So if he needed a quarter pounder, I was on it. He needed a donut, I was on it, right? I was that guy, as well as anything else. So on Sunday mornings, I was always running around with no to-do list, but doing a lot of things, right? Anything that was going on, I was trying to do what I could to do it. Um, and it was awesome. And I was, at the same time, I was in the Vineyard Institute. I was studying and learning and growing and wanting to pursue that call. And I felt so sure that this is what God was calling me into. It was a life of ministry and everything was going great. I was nearing the end. And right when I finished my last course in Vineyard Institute and got my certificate in advanced biblical leadership, I knew God was telling me to quit my church job. It didn't make sense. Because honestly, when you finish a degree or a certificate, you should be then moving into, your, in, into that field, right? And it was clear that I was to step out of the field. And I had no real choice to be obedient because you can't be in ministry without Jesus and last very long. So I, I did it. I stepped out and I, uh, I quit that job and was pursuing God. And I realized, hey, I'm still going to be called to ministry. You've already told me that and I can't do anything else. So I have to do ministry. So I'm going to show you. I'm going to join the prayer team, right? Because Sundays were free now. I didn't have to run and get the quarter pounder. That was someone else's job. I got to do whatever I wanted. So I decided to join the prayer team because there's nothing better to do ministry than by ministering to people. So I joined the prayer team, and I was ready. I mean, I had just completed a certificate in advanced biblical leadership. I took healing one. I took healing two. I knew the five-step prayer model. I knew the kingdom theology. I was ready. So I signed up. I was probably more qualified than most of those prayer people, but I signed up, <laughs> received my lanyard, received my training, and I was ready. Uh, so I, I stepped up, volunteered, signed up. We were doing Sunday night services, so there was only like a handful of us in, in the church and even less on the prayer team, so there was like two people. I was one of two, but it's fine. I got this. I got it. I know what I'm doing. So I, was, I got up there, and then I started getting a little nervous. You know, like, okay, maybe I don't know everything. But God is good. God is good. And I know he's going to send me someone, and they're going to want to confess their sins, and I'm going to pray forgiveness over them. Or, hey, maybe they're going to want, they're going to come up. They, they want a bigger and filling of the Holy Spirit. I can handle that. Hey, heck, maybe they come up, they sprain their wrist at work. I can lay hands, pray over it, and it will be healed within three to six weeks, right? I, like, that's what I was expecting, because God's got to meet you where you're at, right? I'm willing, and I'm stepping out in faith, and God's going to meet us where we're at. So I got up there right as the service was, you know, going into ministry time. I was up there ready to go, uh, praying, all right, God, let me do this, let me do this. And uh, he did it, right? He did it. Up rolled a man in a wheelchair. That would have been enough. He was hooked up to oxygen. Someone rolled him up because he has a hard time communicating. Uh, it was a man I was not unfamiliar with. He was a part of our church, and I knew. I also knew that he was diagnosed with terminal spinal cancer. I also knew that he was very far along in that diagnosis. Not sure what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. 
I mean, I was expecting a D-tier prayer request. This is as close as you get from raising the dead. Medicine had failed. Nowhere else to turn but God. Now, I felt a little inadequate, and in truth, I was a little inadequate, right? There's a house fire, and I had a squirt gun. And I'm not talking about a super soaker. I'm talking about the 10-ticket Chuck E. Cheese squirt gun that I'm standing here trying to put out this fire. And I I remember there's nowhere to go. I was looking for an adult, but there was no adults around. I was the adult. Didn't make any sense, but I was. So I did what you're supposed to do. Laid hands. And I prayed. I prayed. And I I prayed peace. I prayed, God, I said, in the name of Jesus, uh, we speak against this cancer. And I prayed. I said, God, increase our faith. And I prayed. I said, God, pray. We just prayed and prayed and prayed. I prayed peace. I prayed love. I prayed God can show up in a powerful way. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And minutes later, he still sat there. He still sat there full of cancerous cells, unhealed. And in truth, he died about a week later. I'll tell you this story because I remember after finishing up the most meager and feeble prayer ever, I looked him in the eyes. To this day, I'll never forget that. It's the most profound conversation I've ever had with someone without saying a word. We were both disappointed, right? I'm not going to lie to you. Neither of us was like, yes, this worked out well, right? We both wanted him to get up and walk. We both wanted that. But the look in his eyes wasn't one of disappointment in me, right? It wasn't one of, uh, of anger or, man, I wish I would have gotten a better prayer person or anything like that. The look in his eyes was, well, disappointed was peace. And I knew for just a little bit of moment he was seeing and he was heard. And I think that was so important to him. He was seen and heard and loved by someone who represented the kingdom. He felt that kingdom in him. Now, I've spent many nights thinking about him, right? Obviously. Many nights. And, I, and so many times I've asked many questions. What if I didn't stop praying? Maybe my seven-minute prayer, if it was that long, wasn't enough. Maybe I should have sat there if it took three weeks of just praying and praying and praying. You know, I thought, what if I would have told him, get up, you're healed, right? I didn't say, come on, get up. Peter said it earlier. We saw that. Peter said, get up. Maybe that was the thing I was missing. I should have said, get up. What if my faith was stronger? What if I actually believed I was carrying that, a fire hose, not just a super soaker? What if I would have believed that? What if I had a bigger infilling of the Holy Spirit? I lamented a lot. I worried a lot. I wondered a lot. But the thing I never wondered or never wished is I hadn't prayed for him. Right? Never once have I thought, man, I wish I wouldn't have prayed for him. Because even in my failure, I know at the end of the day, he was seen. He was heard. He was loved and he was lifted up, his race was over. He was being called home. But in that calling, he was able to find love of God from another person, right? Yeah, it wasn't me. It was the spirit moving through me. But, man, it was powerful for both of us. 
It took me years, many, many, many years to kind of get the definition or get the, uh, uh, the words to articulate how I f- was feeling about it, right? Sometimes you have an experience and you know, but you can't really articulate it to someone. It wasn't until I heard the, the words of John Wimber, and he said this many ways and many times, but this is a, a quote from his book, Power Healing, that really kind of gave me the, the bow to tie it all up in. He said this, Obedience to God's word is the fundamental reason that I pray for the sick and receive prayer personally. Even when I do not see healing as a result of those prayers, I decided long ago that if 100 people receive prayer and only one is healed, it is better that none receive prayer and no one is healed. You see, that's the point. Jesus commanded us to pray for the sick, and yes, sometimes they aren't healed. Now, there's lots of things when you dive through the scriptures, there's a lot of reasons people aren't healed, right? And I'm not getting into those today. There's just no time. You know, whether some people will say it's because you didn't have enough faith. Some people will say it's because the receiver didn't have enough faith, but the prayer didn't have enough faith. Sometimes it's unconfessed sin. Sometimes it's demonic strongholds. And there are so many other reasons people aren't prayed. But I think it all falls under one umbrella. And that umbrella, I believe, is the tension that we live and minister in that Jesus brought. Because when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, right? We know that because when the kingdom comes, salvation comes. When the kingdom comes, light comes to the dark. When the kingdom comes, sickness is healed. When the kingdom comes, death is defeated, right? And we see all that in the life and the ministry of Jesus. But here's the thing. We also live in the tension that when Jesus came, he started the kingdom, but it's not fully here. Look at Jesus' teaching. There's nothing he taught more about than the kingdom of heaven. And he uses every different past, present, what is that, tense in the world to talk about the kingdom. Because we live in a world that is between the now, which is the kingdom of heaven is here, and the not yet, which is the kingdom of heaven is coming, right? So the now and the not yet you'll hear. So this is that idea and that tension that we should pray earnestly that the kingdom come and people are healed, knowing full well that people aren't always going to be healed. They will when the kingdom comes, right? They will when Jesus comes back. There will be no more sickness, no more death. There will be only, there will be health, right? So we live in this tension. We shouldn't just stay and we shouldn't just not pray for people because they might not be healed. It's the most ludicrous thought ever. Here's the question. Think about it, and let's take it out of the healing, right? Because healing involves a lot of faith, a lot of risk on our end. What if we're talking about other things? What if Tom Brady was afraid to throw a pass because it, could, it might not be a touchdown? It's ludicrous, right? He throws incompletions. Yeah, right? Barely, I know. Even, even so, what if we take it another step further? What if open-heart surgeons decided, I don't want to operate because there's a chance they might not make it off the table, right? You know, they don't, not everyone who has open heart surgery makes it, right? But if we need an open heart surgery, we're still going to get open heart surgery because it's either that or die. The same is true of healing in the supernatural sense. Yes, people aren't going to be healed, but we are still called to do that. I guess the team, and this is a good time to come up, if you will. Uh, I'll try not to go another 30 minutes for you. Um, But uh, this is that kind of that tension that we want to walk in and live in. Because the truth is, we have a choice. Do we pray for the sick, knowing they're not going to be healed, or may not be healed, or do we not? And I think that, that quote from Wimber really said a lot for it. 
And the reality is my experience praying for this man in the wheelchair who didn't get up showed me that I much rather pray for a hundred people who don't get up than not to pray at all. Because that's a hundred people who were met by the presence of God. A hundred people who were lifted up, who were seen, who were loved. And, and even if it was just for a seven-minute feeble prayer, they mattered. They knew they mattered. I knew they mattered. And both of us lifted up to see God in a, in a powerful way. But I also know. If I prayed for 100 men with terminal spinal cancer and that 99 people, none of them got up, that 100th guy got out of that wheelchair, I would never stop praying. Nor would he. And that's the, that's the choice we have. We don't pray because everyone's going to be healed. We pray because God loved them and said, go pray for the sick. Amen. We leave it up to God. But I'm not going to stop. I... I I'm batting zero or whatever it is, right? But I'm going to keep going. Because that's everyone I've prayed for has felt loved in the moment. Because it wasn't about me. It was about them being seen by God. Guys, we pray for people because at worst, the worst thing that can happen to someone, when you pray for healing over someone, the absolute worst thing is that they can be seen, they can be loved, they can be lifted up, they could be heard, they can be cared for. That's the worst thing, is that they're loved on, right? Because ministry is about meeting people where they are and showing them the love of God. But at best, they get up and walk. At best, they walk away without back pain. At best, their knees work again. At best, terminal illnesses are no more, right? We're going to keep praying and praying because Jesus told us to. He gave us the authority. He gave us the power. And how can we not? If we look foolish, as long as you're loving on the person you're praying for, be a fool for God because it's about God. So we're going to move into a ministry time and back into worship, and I'm going to pray for us. And, of course, at any point, you need prayer, come forward. We can take you to the back, whatever we need. But let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the God of this universe. We thank you that you are in control. We thank you that we have the opportunity to partner with you, to see miraculous things happen. And God, I, I pray for that. I don't pray for it just for our faith to be enhanced, but I do. I don't pray for it just because it'd be cool to see, but it would. But we pray for these opportunities, God, because you've called us to. There are people out there who are hopeless. They are hurting. They are alone. And in these moments of ministry, when we get to lay hands on them and pray for them and love on them, God, they get to see you. I pray that we are a church that prays for people. Yes, here on Sunday morning, but God, I pray we pray for people in Walmart. Gosh, there's enough weirdos there. We can be weird there as well. God, I just pray that you give us the opportunities to reach out. We just say in this moment, come Holy Spirit.